Welcome back to the non-standard 14er podcast, the podcast that tells you everything the root description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. I'm Short Rope, and I'm around my kitchen table with Tay Jack. Hello. Jacer Jack. What's up? Ellie. Hello. And we have a famous dog joining the non-standard podcast today, Loki. I think Loki wants to tell something to the listeners. <laughs> oh. We are really, really stoked to have these guests on our podcast tonight. I'm really honored you guys are here. Ellie Briggs and her wonder dog, Loki, just finished all the 14ers. Ellie, congrats on an awesome accomplishment. Thank you. And um, also very impressive. As far as we know, Loki is the only dog to have finished all 58 of Colorado's 14ers. So super cool to be in the presence of a, a celebrity wonder dog. And uh, it's a, <laughs> He's done more than you. He has. He has <laughs> done more than me. And uh, he's climbed Rainier more times than you, too. That's true. So, <laughs> the, also the only dog to have uh, climbed Rainier. Mm-hmm. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. So when was your first 14er and Floki's first 14er and how'd you get into it? Uh, So my first 14er was Mount Albert. Of course, this was also Loki's. He's done every climb that I've ever done. Um, This was seven years ago. It was kind of a funny story because up until then I had never even been on a camping trip. Um, I wasn't really very outdoorsy. I met a girl like randomly at like a meetup and she was really into the... 14ers and she had planned a trip to uh, go out to Buena Vista and, and hike Mount Albert and I asked if I could tag along and she was psyched about it and so yeah the, we, she took me on my first camping trip it was a great time and hiked Mount Albert and I just remember being so naive about the whole thing I, I knew nothing about hiking 14ers I'm dressed in head to toe cotton I think I was wearing like a Hollister sweatshirt <laughs> <laughs> um, we got lost on the way to the trailhead, even didn't even start till like 10:30 in the morning. But somehow we we managed to summit. Um, and it was a, a wonderful day. And uh, after that I was just addicted. And I just I did my second one, which was La Plata a couple weeks later, and then after that was Mount Princeton and then just snowballed from there, I guess. Yeah. So you worked your way through the like the easier class two, class ones. When did you decide you, f- you could figure Loki could do the harder ones? Um, I think it was the next year. But yeah, I started really small. We started with class ones and twos and worked our way up. And I think, honestly, like that's the way that everybody should do it. So the first class three that we did was um, the Sawtooth, going from Beerstadt to Evans. And originally I had just planned on doing Beerstadt, but... We summited so quickly and it was so early in the day and it was a beautiful day and I just thought, hey, why not? It's right there. Um, I had previously researched the route so I was familiar with it um, and I had it with me and it just went really well. Um, He was such a natural on that type of terrain and it was a little bit exposed but he didn't show any fear. Um, I think I was probably more nervous than he was to be honest. But it, it went so well that I was comfortable doing another class three. Uh, in terms of his level of fear of exposure, is there is there anything there? Does he have the same depth perception that a human does? Does he freeze up with exposure? What's that like for him? Yeah, so with exposure, he's very comfortable, and he always has been. But I think one of the biggest factors with with climbing with him was, like I said, making it a progression, starting really small and building up his confidence. And just like you would with a person, um, I mean, I remember being on exposed terrain for the first time and being really nervous because I'm afraid of heights, to be honest. Uh, but with him, he's always been really, really confident and really comfortable uh, around sections that are that are more exposed, around cliffs and things. And so it didn't really, it didn't take much prodding to to get him to go across something that, that might be a little more exposed. He was just always very willing to do it. You were talking over dinner about one spot that that gave him particular pause. Um, but first, he, first dog pun. First dog oh, pun. Oh, nice. Wow. <laughs> we have a jingle I for have a, a list pause. of three dog puns I'm going to use throughout, and that was one of them. <laughs> You've stolen that one from me. Chris, you're barking up the wrong tree. Oh, oh wow. wait. Just wait. I, wait. Just I got some buried here. They're coming. Doggy dog world out there. <laughs> That's that's incredible. So is there any one moment other than finishing for you guys that sticks out in your mind as a highlight of your journey together? I wouldn't say there were. there's one moment. There's so many. Um, I remember every single climb that we've ever done, even some that we've, some mountains that we've done multiple times. I remember each and every hike or, or climb, and they all are so different. 
even with repeats, the experience is so different. There are there are certainly certain peaks, certain situations on peaks that that stand out more than others uh, for different reasons. There was one instance when I was attempting to do Ellingwood, and I was trying to do it from Zapata, and I had researched the route, and so you have, so you have to go up the Coulars. There's like um, three or and there's a couple yep. like right next to each other. Well, I went up the right one, and then we got to the ridge, and we're heading towards Ellingwood, but then. The weather changed, and so I decided to just call it for the day and go back down. And that's that ridge is so long, so it just didn't. There was no way with the weather coming in that I was like, "Oh, we'll have enough time," because definitely wouldn't. So we started to go back down, and I went down the wrong couloir. Mm. And I don't even know which one it is without like pulling up a map and looking at it. But we went down a little bit of it, and then it cliffed out. And this was only a few years into um, our 14er journey, so to speak, and so I wasn't really all that experienced at that point. And this was probably my first oh shit moment that hmm. that we've ever had. And so we get to this clip, and it's not even that high. It's it's probably oh I don't know maybe six feet or so, it was just above my head. But it wasn't level at the bottom. Mm the bottom of it sort of ended on a slope and it was a very loose, rocky, scree slope that moved the second that you put your feet on it. So I was scared to down climb it, but furthermore to get Loki being, you know, I was alone with him, mm. um, to be able to get him down off this sort of cliff while still keeping my balance on this loose rock without sending myself down on a rock sure. slide. Um, was really quite frightening and um, so I got down and I sort of made made my way over to the side which is a little bit more stable and I was calling him and calling him and of course he didn't want to come down it because it was just a little bit too high of a distance for him to be able to jump so he's kind of moving back and forth to try to figure out can I go left can I go right because he's very thoughtful with the way that he approaches um, a climb and like where he chooses to step, he will actually think about what's the best route for me to take. And eventually he actually did find a, a really good way down off to the side and was able to just traverse over and join me on the other side uh, at the bottom of that little cliffy section. And I just remember like being in tears mm. and hugging him and being like, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm, I'm so sorry I did that to you having gotten myself sort of off route and, and, and putting him in that situation. Uh, but once we got down that's that area, um, we just like I just put him in between my legs and we kind of like surfed down the rock. I could see down the entire rest of the couloir. Um, so I knew that there wasn't anybody below me and then the, the bottom half of it was snow. So we ended up getting a, a fun uh, glissade out of it uh, at the end, which was I think probably the first time I'd ever glissaded in my life as well. Do you glissade with him in one hand and your axe in the other? Or how? No, these days he, I just glissade on my own and he uh, just sort of runs alongside oh, cool. me or sometimes he'll run behind me. <laughs> we don't really ever get into um, a steep enough area that I feel like I would have to hold on to him. Hmm. Although we did Missouri, uh, Missouri Mountain earlier this year. This was in June, but it was still like winter yeah, conditions. Winter. Yeah, with us having such a huge winter. So we went up the North Face Coulars um, and we did like the main couloir. Does the sea, is the one that looks like a sea? Is so the sea is off to the to looker's right. Um, okay. And then the main goes straight up. Okay, so you did the main? Yeah. And it, it, it was absolutely perfect. Um, by the time we were headed back down, it was like nice and soft. So I had a, a super fun, like incredibly fast glissade. At one point I was a little out of control, but there was nobody below me at that point. And I, I certainly could have just flipped around and self-arrested, but uh, I just allowed myself to enjoy it. And yeah, he just ran right behind me like it was nothing. But I think it's easier for a dog. Of course, they have four points of contact. And, and built-in crampons. And yeah. <laughs> and you had crampons to do that? I did, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So what kind of system do you guys use? I know you know in your trip reports, you've talked about like his harness and he's on belay at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about sort of your system with your dog? Yeah, first things that are more technical, um, we've developed a system over the years. That was always really important for me to make sure that he had like a good amount of safety and that we could do these as safe as possible because bringing him is not really a choice, it's, it's just a, a fact of life. And so 
we have to do things as safely as possible, not just for him, but for me, for everybody else that we're sharing the mountain with. Yeah, some of the things that we would do would be like, so when we're climbing up something that's really steep, I put him right in front of me, but still within arm's reach. And that's just for, well, that's for a couple of reasons. One, in case he were to ever knock down a rock, which he hasn't, knock on wood, this has never happened. Um, but if that's that incredible. were, ever, I know, incredible in itself, just the fact that he hasn't ever knocked down a rock. Um, you know, I have, <laughs> I have on many occasions, yeah, he hasn't, <laughs> yeah, I think everybody has. Yeah, so if he were ever to sort of dislodge something, I'm close enough that I can actually reach out and grab it and stop it from, from continuing down. Uh, the other thing is if he ever needs a boost, he'll, he kind of gives off a little whimper to let me know, I can't do this on my own. Hmm. I need help. And then uh, I can just grab him by the harness and sort of either lift him or I can just um, give him a little, a little boost on his behind. Well, and I think this is a good spot too, because obviously you guys are listening, so you can't see how beautiful her dog is, how beautiful Loki is. But you didn't mention he's an eight-year-old he husky. Is, yeah. um, so he's, what did you say? But he's, but he's small. Pounds? He's only yeah. 41 pounds. And normally a typical eight-year-old male husky, like a full-grown husky, would be 50 to 60 pounds with him being only 40. He was the rent of his litter. All of his brothers and sisters are much bigger. And initially... How many 14 years have they done? Yeah, right. <laughs> initially, I was like, oh, I wish he would get bigger. But now I'm so thankful that he is this small because there have been plenty of occasions where I have had to lift him up or my partner and I will have to sort of do a handoff if if it's like a, a straight-up chimney or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely a lot easier to lift up a, a 40-pound husky like sure. a briefcase than it would be totally. <laughs> to, to try to manage something that's 70 or 80 pounds. Right. And so, and with that, he's done a lot of training. You guys have done a lot of training yes. together. Yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about all of that? Yeah. I mean, we did sort of like a mountaineering specific training together. Um, and this was something that I took on myself. And what was important for me was I never wanted to get up on a, on a 14er and get to a section that we hadn't already, that was new that we hadn't already practiced. So I would try to find similar terrain somewhere else that was like just more convenient or lower elevation or, or whatever and try it out and see, can he do it? Is he willing to do it? Does he have the confidence to do it? Can he maybe almost do it, but then if I help, then he can. So yeah, and specifically like, you know, if we, once we start getting into capital and the knife edge, um, like we had done Kelso Ridge just as I know that that knife edge there, it's much, much shorter, but just to get him that sort of exposure, that sort of triangular terrain where there's exposure on both sides, would he be willing to go across that or is he going to retreat? And that was always something that was important for me as well. If he's not willing to, to go across something, if he is too afraid, we don't do it. I would never force Loki to go across something or go up something that he's not comfortable with. Sometimes he'll show a little hesitation, but he still wants to try it, and that's okay, and then we'll continue. But when he is too scared to try something, he'll sort of back up and, like, retreat, maybe step away from it. We're done. Like, absolutely done. And I think that's how you have to approach it with, with a dog in this kind of situation, and really with any training whatsoever. You can't force a dog to do something they don't want to do. I think that... If you were to, it'd be sort of like the equivalent of a kid being afraid of going off a diving board and their parent just shoving them into the pool. Totally. They're going to be so afraid for the rest of their life. They're never going to do it again. Mm -hmm. So building up the confidence and only doing it when he is willing and ready, that's allowed us to sort of advance with some of the more technical climbs. Sure. We never would have gotten to 58 if he didn't want to do these climbs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've built so much trust and relationship yeah. between the two of you that you were saying how well you understand him and vice versa, how well he also understands you. Yeah, I mean, we can sense in each other when one is afraid and we've both been afraid at, at different in, in different experiences and the other sort of like helps the... We sort of help each other along. And if he he might be nervous or I might be nervous, but we're still willing to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And that's that's okay. That's 
to me, that's okay to continue. Mm-hmm. And the two are stronger than one in your case. Absolutely. And then it's so funny because sometimes he will be a little nervous to try like a certain section. And, you know, I might give him a little boost or something. And the second he gets up to the top of it, oh, he is like grinning from ear to ear. The tail is just like back and forth. He's so proud of himself. Yeah. Like, I did this. And so building up that confidence for him has been huge a huge part of of his training and and allowing us to do these harder climbs that's incredible i mean it makes sense because if you think about when they do with like drug dogs or something like that where if they don't find something they get sad or they but you build confidence by actually placing so they get that confidence of oh i'm doing this correctly and Mm -hmm. i can do this and i am you know it's like reinforcing their training yeah and and it being a positive reinforcement and studies have shown multiple studies have shown that the best way to train a dog is using positive reinforcement, not any sort of um, punishment. What do you do for nutrition for him? I'm curious. Uh, so Loki, <laughs> Loki gets um, blue wilderness uh, grain-free dog food. He actually was sponsored by Blue Buffalo for uh, two years oh. when we first started uh, doing the 14ers. So that was really nice because, you know, dog food's kind of expensive. Like, he'd be eating, like, the Cadillac of dog food while I'm eating ramen noodles every night. So that was a a really nice help uh, when we had that opportunity. They they must agree about the food there. Yeah. (laughs) And so you just give him kibble on, on your climbs, or are there other things that you supplement his nutrition with? So on a daily basis, he is going to get the Blue Wilderness. When we do backpacking trips, I find it's a lot easier to carry dehydrated dog food. I didn't know there was such a thing. thing. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yes, this is amazing. So it weighs nothing, first of all. Um, And I just, I go to, like, the, um, I go to, like, wagon wash and get the nice organic or whatever. Um, I would never give him, like, you know, kibbles and bits or whatever. And that's, like, the equivalent of giving your dog Taco Bell. So, yeah, he gets the expensive dog food. Um, but the dehydrated stuff is really great um, for backpacking because then you're not carrying stuff that's super heavy. That makes and sense. And I don't ever make him carry a pack, okay, which I know a lot, a lot of people do. And, you know, some dogs are great with it. He's small. And your dogs are only supposed to carry about 10% of their weight. So, I mean, four pounds, that's not much help. Hmm. And when, then when you factor in the that they can usually only go about half the distance with a pack that they would be able to go without a pack, that's not going to get us very far. Mm. So I just find that it's easier for me to carry it myself and and let him sort of have a weight free. So for Um, water, mm -hmm. how does he, I mean, what do you do? Do you carry most of his water for him? No. And this is kind of what's amazing about him. So uh, huskies are one of the very few breeds of dogs that are able to change their metabolisms in order to sort of like suit whatever setting they're in. And this is what part of the reason that makes them a good uh, sled dog. That they can go for miles and miles and miles without having to stop and eat all the time. I had no idea. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, So he sort of like goes into work mode once we start. So yeah, if we're just doing like a, a day hike, even if it's a big climb, we may be out there for, you know, 12 hours. He does not need to eat. I have, when we first started doing it, I would bring food and tons of extra water and he wouldn't touch it, would not touch it. And so, you know, I get back down and I've got all this water. I'm carrying all this weight. I'm like, what? That was pointless. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, thanks. Glad I just hauled all this up on my back. Weight training for you. Yeah, exercise, yay. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I just stopped. So as far as food goes, I I don't carry extra food. I carry dog treats. Um, and I might carry a few dehydrated uh, little pods, I guess they are, um, just in case. Like, maybe we're out there an extra long time, something might happen. Sure, totally, yeah. Just trying to be prepared. And then for water, I don't carry extra, unless we're going to be on a mountain where I know there's no water source or there's no snow. Um, so, like, when we did Ellingwood Ridge, I knew there was going to be bits of snow here and there, but I did carry extra water um, just because... You're on that ridge for most of the day, uh, and I knew that, you know, the sun beating down, I knew he's going to be hot. He's probably going to want to drink at some mm-hmm. point. But yeah, for the most part, he is finding himself, if there's any sort of natural water source, you know, a stream, a creek, whatever, 
even just a few drops coming down that might be like runoff, he'll find that and he'll drink that. And then if there's snow, he'll eat it. But if I just offer him water poured into a bowl, he'll, he turns his nose up at it. That, I, I don't even bother. Samson does the exact same thing. That's, That's our amazing. dog. He, he, the same, doesn't want to drink out of a bowl, but yeah. he'll find the natural water sources, but... Um, that's super interesting. I had no idea about the metabolism of a yeah. husky could adapt yeah, like cool. that. That's cool. incredible. It's very convenient. <laughs> right, absolutely. Sure. Well, it makes him, again, there's so many things that make you and and him a perfect partner. And that's, you know, one of those. Yeah, and that's what I think is really important to highlight is that he's not just like a, a typical dog. He's he, A lot of things came together that made this situation so perfect for us. And, you know, a lot of people ask me questions about, oh, hey, I want to bring my dog up X peak or Y peak mm. or, or whatever. What are your recommendations or, or can you give me any, any sort of bits of advice? And most of the time, my answer is don't do it. It's, it's not safe. I don't know anybody else's dog, so it's certainly not, not my place necessarily, but all I know is what my dog specific, specifically can or can't do is not the same as what somebody else's dog may be or may not be able to do. Did you have like a watershed moment where you were like, he's done this? Holy cow, he could like finish all these with me. Or did you just expect to do it from the beginning? No, I definitely didn't expect to do it from the beginning. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. It wasn't even something that crossed my mind until we were maybe... 30 or 35 peaks in. I mean, I started doing more and more just because I was enjoying myself and he was enjoying himself and it just sort of became an addiction. Like, I think it happens to a lot of people. But starting with the, the easier peaks, we hadn't even gotten into the more technical stuff. And so that was sort of, in my mind, it was something that was probably an unattainable goal. So I didn't even allow myself to think about that. But then, yeah, like I said, 30 or 35 peaks in, we had done a couple of class threes at that point. Like we had done Wetterhorn. And you know those ledges when you get closer to the summit um, that are pretty exposed? I mean, he just like mountain goaded right up those like they were nothing. It was funny because I remember we got to them and I actually stopped for a minute and put my hands on my hips and I'm looking at them like, hmm, how are we going to get him up this? And just off to my right side, he just... Like, <laughs> bolted right up like they were nothing. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Wow. That's and amazing. Yeah, so that was, like, really the first time that I got to see um, the, the beginnings of, of what he could do. And how does he know which way to go? Was there people ahead of him, or he just intuitively knew that was the best way you are going up and heading head in that direct direction, or what? It really depends. So, like, for instance, on that peak, I think that was just kind of, like, the only the only way to go was sort of up and we were looking up and, and mm-hmm. he could sort of tell like that was the direction. But like I said, he doesn't go far away from me. He always stays like very close to where I am. Um, and this is all of the time, even just on a flat trail, he will never go outside of my eyesight. He will always stay right close to me. And then when we get on this more like exposed terrain, he stays very, very close to me. Um, he's not the dog that's like running back and forth yeah. and causing. What about animals? Does he chase like a marmot or pika chirps? Uh, no, no. I mean, he might give him a look, just like where is this coming from? But yeah, he he's really not interested. He was when we first started, so that was something that I had to um, sort of redirect and train out of him because huskies, of course, have generally have a very high prey drive. But thankfully, he has always been very easily trainable. That's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, that was something that we were able to sort of nip in the bud. Yeah, she said, you were saying he can walk right past moose or yeah. goats or, you know, that's yeah. a pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, so getting back to what I was saying with, um, like, root finding, it's, it's really interesting because he, I don't know how he does it, like, because he can read cairns. Um, And that was not something that I trained into him. I have a feeling maybe it has to do with like scent where he can smell that a person was, you know, going in that direction before him if there are people climbing ahead of us. Uh, But there have been so many situations where we're like just root finding based purely on Cairns. And I'll be standing there and my partner, like we're looking around trying to find the next one. And he has already 
started heading towards the next. He's already found it, huh. wow. and he is directing us. This was, I mean, <sighs> he did it on Little Bear. He's did it on Pyramid. Um, he did it on Capital. So it's really, really incredible that he can. He just has this ability. A lot of times, I'm just like Loki. Where do we go? And he huh. finds it. Wow. <laughs> so he's the root finder of the group. A lot of times, he is the root That's finder. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and so, can you like going down, say North Maroon, or going down the gully, maybe on the Crested Needle, and you have to cross over to the first gully? Mm-hmm. Does he? Does it kind of remember, remember where that crossover was? He probably would, but it's the way that we approach a descent is very different than when we go up. So when we're ascending something that's more technical, like I said, he's always directly in front of me. Yeah, so for the descent, it's the exact opposite. He is directly behind me. So again, if he were to knock something loose, it's gonna hit me um, or I can reach out and grab it. And then a lot of times, like if it's really, um, really, really steep, we have a system where I'll say, get behind and he will literally just press his body into my back. Huh. So I am basically breaking his his potential fall, I guess. Wow. Um, and then I'll crab walk down. Ah, so like things like, let's see, Red Gully on Preston Peak. That, most that. of the way he was able to just go huh. down himself. But something like the, uh, the Green Gully on, on Pyramid. Pyramid, yep. Uh, and then part of like the top section coming down from K2, and there's like, it's sort of slabby. Uh, and then quite a few other sections on Capitol um, where it's just really, really steep. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. So before we get to the The hourglass edge, on Little Bear, that was exactly how we did it. I was going to ask you about yeah. the hourglass. Yeah. And I see that on the forum. I'm curious how you guys navigated that with the way the rock is sloped. It's kind of a weird, yeah, different rock. In the hourglass, we're talking about the, the class four route on Little Bear. Yeah, so for for the hourglass, really the only difficult part was the very beginning um, where you sort of don't have great handholds. And so the way that we did it, I had brought a rope uh, and my harness and his harness, and we were prepared to set up an anchor and belay him. And so we actually did put him on belay. Uh, my partner went up ahead of me, set up the belay, and then we had him on the rope. Just in case, because I, I had no idea what to expect. And it's hard to tell, like, just from looking at trip report photos, um, route descriptions and such. Like, mm. you can't really get an idea for how steep something is just yeah. by looking at photos. So you get there. Yeah. yeah, and I think, honestly, for the most part, photos make it look worse. I agree. The hourglass, definitely. Yeah. And Even so, though YouTube videos are yeah. good. Look. Yes, exactly. So I was prepared for it to be, like, straight up. And right. like, oh, we're for sure going to have to blame him. Um, and when we got there, and it just wasn't so bad. Now, he couldn't do it on his own but what I did basically I just picked him up and like put him on the wall and then I used one hand to like kind of hoist myself up like the first just like one step pushed his butt (laughs) and then like put him kind of rested him on my shoulder grabbed my next hand and then pushed his butt up again but I I always had like a really good hold on the rock myself yeah and he knew that he could safely lean into me and he trusted that. So yeah, and, and that, that section I think is maybe eight to 10 feet, it's not very long, um, before it's sort of um, the angle lessens mm-hmm. and after that he was able to scramble up the rest of it by himself. Did you guys go straight up the middle or did you go kind of lookers left where there's better holds but it's a little steeper? So that very first section, there's a little, there was a little bit of water running down mm-hmm. the right-hand side and it was what month sort of you? half frozen. Um, this was, I think, like Labor Day weekend, and it was the, I think it was on a, the Monday. There was no snow on the rest of the route, uh, and just that little section of ice. But just the, the just the beginning part where it funneled, and you have to go that way. Where at the very beginning, um, we went up that, and then after that, yeah, we went off to the left so we for did. the rest of it. It's just a lot easier for people to climb, and I think anybody would just naturally sort of uh, navigate that that way. And then once we got up to uh, the anchors where those shitty old ropes are, are still attached, um, I think the, the hourglass like proper sort of goes to the right, and we went left. We went left as well. We yeah. Didn't, I don't think yeah, right looked that good. Yeah, and I mean, from, from my research, it seemed like there was still a good route to the left. It was less traveled, and therefore we were likely to encounter... Um, less people although we actually for that one we kept track of everybody um who was on the mountain so like for instance 
every every party that we encountered, we would ask, "Hey, is there anybody behind you?" Um, and so we were actively counting how many people are still on on the route that we're going to come across. So we actually sure. knew that there was nobody um, above us on the hourglass, unless they they had taken. Uh, I guess the, the, ridge, the ridge, the other direction, and we're coming down the hourglass, although I don't think anybody would, but you never know. And you kept Loki in front of you on that top section just so you didn't knock, throw yep. a missile down the, down the hourglass. Yeah, exactly, yeah. What's been the toughest section for him? It sounds like he's done everything with relative ease, but is there one that was tougher for him than others? Out of all of them? Because he's, he's just always Doesn't so... Doesn't sound like there are any. <laughs> yeah, he's always so so willing. What about the chimney move on uh, North Maroon? So, uh, I mean, if we hadn't been there, it obviously would have been impossible for him. He probably would have gone around the, and done like the class three uh, sort of workaround. But um, it wasn't hard for us because there was a group... We were in a group of four. And, and um, so I had one partner go all the way up to the top. And then... I went up next, I believe, and like I think there's like two or three tiers. I think there's two tiers and then the top. And so I went up to the the, the first tier, then my partner below handed him up to me. Then I went up to the second tier and again we did and huh. well actually I think Loki climbed up that one. And then that last tier where it's it's the true like class four move, my partner who was already at the top just uh, lay down, like reached down, and I lifted up Lokes, and he grabbed his harness like it was a briefcase and just hoisted huh. him. And you didn't carry, did you carry a rope just in case on that one? On that one, no. No, because I knew that huh. if we couldn't get up the chimney, which I felt very confident with four of us that we wouldn't have an issue, and we didn't, but even if it, it wasn't possible, that we would just take the class three uh, work around to the side. So do you just do a ton of 40-pound dumbbell rows? <laughs> yeah, right. Time for the briefcase move if you need to. We try to not. Super strong back. We do that very, very rarely. Most of the time, like, I just, I barely have to, like, add any weight to, to get him up. But he's, he doesn't really dangle much. Um, <laughs> it's usually just, like, he can almost get it, but he just needs, like, a little tiny bit of help. And so I kind of just push him a little bit. That's incredible. Yeah. And Loki's a trained service dog. Yes. Which means what? How long is training? How do you become a service dog? Uh, well, it depends on, on the task that they have to do. Um, for us, it was a two-year process because you have to go through... There, there's a set of things that, you ha- that a dog has to be able to do just in general to be a service dog. Um, but then after that, there are um, specific tasks for what they're going to be trained to perform so we had to we had to do both of those things of course but yeah it was a two about a two-year period and it worked out he just he had a the the right kind of demeanor um as you guys have seen he's he's very mellow he he he's kind of just keeps keeps to himself he's he's not like running up uh, to people and i think him having gone through the the service training really helps with the rest of our mountaineering specific training because like I said he's so highly trainable um, and so willing to do this stuff but it just comes back to the fact that all of these things really had to come together in this most perfect way for him to be able to do what he does mm-hmm. right so you couldn't be a 60 pound dog where you're couldn't be a 60 pound dog he couldn't, couldn't be a regular husky that you know they're no he, he's the worst husky in the history of husky, she's like the anti-husky in the sense <laughs> that um, he acts nothing like a typical husky. Most huskies are just like super hyperactive. They're not good listeners. They're independent. They'll, the second you uh, open the door, they'll run away. I have yet to see another off-leash husky ever in my life. Um, and he is off-leash 100% of the time. Because they're known to be runners, too. I was going to yes. say they're notorious for yeah, being... Normally, and they'll like they'll just take off and run for miles and then get lost because they weren't paying attention to where they came from. <laughs> um, so a lot of times when you, you know, you see things on social media about lost dogs, it's a husky or a malamute. What's the difference? Uh, a malamute is, I mean, it's a, it's a different breed, but it's a, they're larger. They tend to be more woolly, like have longer hair. They have more of a boxy face. Um, they do tend to be a little bit more mellow than a husky, but they're both considered northern breeds, uh, both used as sled dogs. Okay. When you did Castle on Conundrum, did you also do the 13er Malamute Peak? I don't even know what that is. What? <laughs> Whoa. That's funny. 
cool is that 13. a real thing? Yeah, it's like 13.3. It's right on the same trailhead as that castle. Oh, I'll have to go do that one. That's the one <laughs> pun I was working on. I've been working on dog puns for all night. All day. Is there a, is there a sitting... husky peak or like a Siberian mountain? Yeah, not that I know. This is, this is the puns I came up with. I assume you did Gray's Peak from... Chihuahua. Chihuahua God. Did we just read his pun section? No, that was it. That's two I've taken. So I assume... Gray's Peak is the favorite dog, favorite peak of the dog because of Chihuahua Gulch. <laughs> and then the neighboring peak, Tories, is his least favorite. Dead dog cooler. Dead dog cooler. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got him out. All right, I'm good. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good one. It took you all day to cook up. <laughs> I, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's sad that we have done neither of them. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder if he knows if he is nervous walking past that because it's named Dead Dog Cooler. But it's like we were talking about this earlier. It's so incredible. He's hiked and climbed all 58, but he doesn't know any different. Like, he could be like, oh, is there another 58? Like, oh, he's he just doing care. this job. It's incredible. Like, it's his job. Yeah, for sure. No checklist. No, I think we could all take a page out of his book. Absolutely. That's just, I think that's so cool. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Can we talk about the knife edge? a lot of of people are wondering about it we've seen on the forum that's like the biggest question that's asked we've watched the video the video is incredible yeah and maybe we can we can link it um because it's it's pretty cool can you walk us through that i may take that down um, so we won't be linking it (laughs) it's cool it's very well we can that was your very last 14er right in a couple weeks ago yes capital was our finisher yeah um yeah the knife edge what what can i tell you about that so you hiked in and camped at the lake, or yes. near, near the lake first day? Yeah. Got, got up yeah. early, headed over K2. Yeah, we started. And so actually the night before, I went around to some of the camps, and I introduced myself, and I let other people know, hey, this is our plan. I am going to be going up with my dog. It is our finisher. Um, we do have a lot of experience, but I just want to let you know in advance. If you So if you have any issues, I'd be happy to, to discuss things with you. Um, and. I also wanted to get a feel for when people would be starting so we can sort of try to stagger where we would be on the mountain so that we're not creating any sort of choke or putting people or ourselves in undesirable situations where we're on top of each other. Yeah, so we started at about uh, 5 in the morning. Typically, when we're doing a peak that's more technical, I try to do it on a weekday. um, And I I try to do non-standard routes as much as possible. One, less crowds, and two, they tend to just be more interesting. Uh, Unfortunately for this particular climb this day, I was limited by my partner's schedule. I have actually been trying for over a year to set up this climb. Yeah, we were ready to finish last year, um, and we made an attempt at Capitol a year ago. Uh, Unfortunately, we had bad weather, really high winds, so after spending a night at Capitol Lake, we had to pack out. Smart. Yeah, we were ready to go um, September of last year. We made an attempt, got all over the lake, weather picked up, we had really high winds, um, and so we never even made a summit attempt. We just spent a really crappy night in our tent, getting blown around by the wind, freezing our butts off, and then, yeah, hiked back out the next day. And the very, the day after that, the very next day, there was a big snowstorm. That was the end of the season. Ah, uh, that stopped you. Okay. Yeah. And then, so then, yeah, this year, this has been the only peak that I've needed the entire wow. season. And so that just kind of um, tells you I, I spent this entire season trying to find a suitable partner, trying to make sure that the conditions were perfect, that we were completely ready for it again. And, yeah, it took until mid-September for all of that to come together. Wow. And I was really hoping that we could go midweek like we normally try to do, but I was just never able to find a partner. And unfortunately, the, the partner that I, um, that I ended up going with, you know, she's a teacher. She works Monday through Friday, and, and so we were limited to the weekend. But trying to find the perfect partner is also quite difficult in and of itself just because it's somebody, it has to be somebody that I trust with my own life, but also with my dog's life. Right. And somebody uh, that I know is going to be helpful if we need help. Somebody I trust with, you know, ex- experience-wise, they, they've got to have to be comfortable on this terrain, um, be good sure. with root finding, and all, everything has, to, has to, to work really well with us as a, a basically a three-person team. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's how I look at it. With Loki, yeah, he's a dog, but... He is my climbing partner. He's my number one climbing partner. Right. That's right. I mean, obviously, he's he's climbed with me more than anybody else has. Yeah. Um, but he gets just as much say 
as a human partner would. And I, I look at it in the sense of like, you know, when you're in the backcountry skiing or snowboarding, if you're out there with a group of four and one person isn't comfortable on the terrain, it just looks sketchy, the whole group turns back. Everybody gets a veto. Exactly. Yep. And everybody's voice counts just as much as the next person. And that's exactly the way I look at it with him. If he doesn't want to try something, we're not going. If he's tired, we're going back. I mean, it's he is just as important as any other member of the team. And so were there situations where you did turn around? Yeah. Not certain which ones were yeah. those? Um, it's happened very few times. And actually the most notable one was not because he was afraid, but he was just dirt tired uh we so it was right after we had finished the blanca group would you say he was dog tired he was dog tired <laughs> Chris, you missed yet that was a wasted opportunity <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah we were on our way down we had, so we did um el diente so uh, via killpacker and then the day after that we headed up to do mount wilson Again, via Killpacker. Non-standard? Didn't, didn't do the traverse? Correct, yeah. Because you thought it was Loki or you just didn't want to do it yourself? Or? Uh, both. Um, <laughs> I have, we have never done any of the four great traverses. It's highly unlikely that I would ever bring him on any of them. If I were to do one, it would be the Wilson El Dante traverse. That's but, the only one we've done so far. But yeah, the other three, absolutely not with him. It's, yeah. There's just no way. But yeah, I mean, so this was going to be, and I think we had even done another one prior to getting into the Wilsons. So, I, I mean, it was like our, our sixth 14er in seven days. And it, it's not like these were small. These were big <clears throat> peaks, you know, miles and miles put in. So he was exhausted. I was exhausted. Um, we got up to maybe over, we were above 13,000 feet on Mount Wilson. He just, I had the summit in sight. He lay down in the snow. <laughs> he put his head down. And I called him, like, hey, Loki, come on over. And he didn't respond. Mm. And I knew right then, we're done. He's, he's exhausted. Like, he's not going to take any more steps. So, yeah, we, even though we, I mean, 13,000 feet, we still had quite a, a ways left to go. Right. familiar with, uh, with that peak. But um, it didn't matter how many miles I had just driven and the fact that we were right there. I don't care if he's tired or if, if he's done. We're both done. So I... For that one, I, I picked him up, put him over my shoulders, and actually carried him down part of the way. <laughs> yep, and just mm -hmm. gave him a break. And then once we got back down, I think, to like the more uh, dirt terrain, I carried him down a while. Um, and then he was able to, to finish on his own. Hmm. Yeah. He made it pretty clear to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. So back to capital. Okay. <laughs> back to the knife edge, yes. So you were saying earlier that, that you could have just probably let him walk across the whole thing, and he would have on his own. He was that... Comfortable across, across the knife edge? I, I believe so, yeah. I mean, just knowing his demeanor um, and the way that he was sort of carrying himself and, and seeing his willingness to go across and having done Kelso and, and just seeing the way that he was, like, moving over it, like, you know, the way that he was standing, he absolutely could have walked across it on his own volition wow. just easily. Um, we were really the limiting factor. I had brought gear to build an anchor and brought rope and uh, harnesses and stuff. And my initial plan was to actually set up like a, a belay, a, a cr like on each, uh, sorry, an, an anchor on each side of the knife edge and then have the rope as a backup if you were to like slip off or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Give you peace of mind. Exactly. <laughs> because it is such a, um, a committing area and there is no room for losing your balance um you know it's a no fall zone so i just i didn't want to take that chance uh, and so i was prepared to have him on belay but once we got up there and i actually got my eyes on it and was able to see oh it's it's not quite as as steep as the photos and videos that i'd seen made it out to be we actually felt really comfortable up there um even for me somebody who's not like super psyched on exposure and does have a fear of heights i felt perfectly comfortable. There was never a point where I was nervous myself and my partner was totally fine. And we realized that breaking out the rope and, and building anchors was just not necessary. Uh, we could very easily just get him across ourselves. That said, we did always have our hands on him. One of us always had 
at least one handle on him at, at any point, just in case. But I think looking back, it probably just frustrated him and it made it harder for him to, to sort of scramble across. But if I had to do it again, I would, I would still make sure that we had had that backup of one of us always holding him. Because you never know, you know, he, he could slip and, and that would be the end and that's not something I'm willing to take a chance with. Well, and you're in kind of like uncharted waters too, like there aren't, I haven't researched it thoroughly, but I can't imagine there's a lot of dogs that have done that section, no. so you don't know if it's even doable by a dog. And so it's just a precaution on your end, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, from the research that I had done, just to try to get uh, an idea of had you know if dogs had previously done it, and if so, what systems did mm -hmm. their owners use um, that they found helpful? I can count on one hand the amount of dogs that have done it. I think it's actually less than five, um, including my own. But there, there was one person that's that said they they had him like on a blade. From the photo, it looked like he was just kind of leashed. Um, and that's not something that I would ever do because for me, if the dog were to slip, well, then he's hanging by his neck. Um, so that's not really ideal. I, yeah, not an ideal situation. Uh, but with his harness, his harness is um, it's actually built for dogs to rock climb and repel. Um, it's strength rated. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's it's a legit dog climbing harness. Who makes it? Is it uh, custom? It's Roughwear. It's the Roughwear Doubleback okay. harness. Cool. Um, so... Yeah, it has leg loops. It's it's a really awesome piece of gear. <laughs> we don't really use the leg loops. We don't need to. But like, if you were to repel with the dog, I mean, we can repel together. It sort of just keeps him upright so that he's not uh, dangling like sort of by his chest. Have you practiced repelling? Yeah, we've done all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I had to when we did Rainier, I had to teach him specifically crevasse rescue. I mean, and also rope travel. <laughs> so to do crevasse rescue. I had to have him dangling um, and sort of swinging him back and forth <laughs> and simulating a situation like that would mimic what would happen if we were to fall into a crevasse just to make sure that he would stay calm, that he wouldn't be like thrashing about because he was also, he was attached to me as well. Right. Sure. Um, Where were you in the line of rope, um, Rainier? I was, so there, we were a group of three people and I was last. You're okay. Yeah. And Loki was just in front of you or can, like out sort of perpendicular? Or? So he was directly in front of me, but he was also clipped into the, the rope as well. Okay. He was clipped into me, but also into the rope. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> Does he ski jor? Can he pull you on? You? <laughs> <laughs> um, we we ski jored a few times many, many years ago. Uh, but I'm a snowboarder, uh, and it it's, work it's as well. not as easy with a snowboard. Um, Split joring. And I <laughs> could be. You know, maybe on the uphill that would be a great idea because yeah. he would sort of like pull me up, yeah. take a lot of that that weight off of me. Uh, but like, I mean, obviously he goes wherever I go, and this is 100% of the time. So yeah, when I'm in the backcountry, he comes into the backcountry as well. But now he, when I'm snowboarding, he just runs directly in my line that I've created. Aww. And that makes it easier for him if we're in like really deep, powdery snow. Which is what you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he wears, he has his own avalanche beacon that's um, made specifically for dogs. That's on a different frequency. Black Diamond make that one? What's... So it's Peeps. Um, I think okay. it's the only one that is on the market. Okay. But Black Diamond now owns Peeps. Right. So. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's on a different frequency, so it doesn't get confused for a human in the yeah. search. Okay. Initially, uh, before I got that, um, I just had a regular beacon with him. But my snowboarding partner that I've had for years, we had that understanding. And he was okay with the fact that I was using a human beacon on my dog. And that's a big commitment, obviously. It's easy for me to make that commitment. If I was buried, if I were buried and my dog is buried, you save whoever is first. I don't care. But for my partner to make that commitment as well. Oh. Um, so if someone comes along and is digging you out, they would know which one's a human and which one's a dog. With his dog beacon. How does that show oh. up on like a tracker three as a different signal, a different frequency? Sorry, doesn't. this is a tangent. No, it's okay. Curious. It actually doesn't on the tracker three. So yeah, you have to have. Um, wow. Like a, it's a, I think the black diamond guide, and then there's one other. Oh, the recon. Are wow. the two, yeah. That's amazing. 
how did he handle uh, Crestones? We were on Crestone Needle, and there was someone who was dragging his dog unwillingly up that first gully. And when they crossed over to that second gully, like literally, like, like dragging it by the leash, and it was not wanting to oh go. My God. Shadow- showering rocks down the gully on us. And so we climbed up to this other guy, and we're just like, you know, complaining to him, like, this asshole is bringing his dog and shattering rocks on us. I would be thinking the same thing. Well, <laughs> that guy was the guy's roommate. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the better though. The message got back, I bet. But when I see a dog on Crestones or, or Capital, I would, I would instantly say, "Oh my gosh, that's dangerous." But mm-hmm. did you, as you pointed out, taking some like you were on Capital and you had three people who had never done a fourteener before, that's going to be more dangerous than a well-trained service dog that listens exactly to what you're saying and you know rides on your back during down K two. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. For the people. That had that we encountered on Capitol, and it was their first fourteener. I mean, when my partner and I heard that, we both looked at each other and were like, "What? Like, what the hell are you even doing here? This is so dangerous." And I really felt for those girls because, I mean, they were very, very clearly traumatized um, on their way back down when they were just climbing so slowly and like almost frozen in that situation and crying and almost hyperventilating. It was really sad to see, and it's such a deterrent for them, but also it's dangerous for everybody else on the mountain because they are not, they don't have the experience to safely navigate over that terrain. They don't really know how to handle it. Whereas working with Loki for for so many years and really fine-tuning our system and, and learning how to safely navigate over these different types of terrain. And on Capitol, there's so many different types of terrain you know there's like ledgy sections and then there's sections where it's just like loose super loose rock um then there's sections that are like really steep slab and then of course there's a knife edge so you really encounter all of the different types of terrain that you would encounter maybe one or, or two different kinds on something else so it was, i'm happy that we saved it as our finisher because it just gave us so much more experience by building up to it um, so that we were really prepared to take on all the different kinds that we encountered. With the Crestone specifically, I Crestone Nido is my favorite. I, I absolutely love that mountain. I love the climb, but I also just love the, the rock is so beautiful, that conglomerate sort of um, colorful, but it's also very, it, it's a very stable rock. Knobby. And yeah, yeah. A lot of good hands, a lot of good feet. It's nice and sticky. Uh, he did not have any problem with with either of the Crestones. Crestone Peak was was really easy. I don't think there was any section. So that, that red gully didn't that, didn't phase him. Not at all. Didn't kick yeah, any there's rocks. nothing really that stands out on that peak. The crossover uh, from the first gully to the second wasn't. So for Crestone Needle, um, yeah, that was really the only section that I sort of had to um, do an extra bit of research and and we had to think through, and I was. I was thinking about that particular section just the other day, and I, I actually texted my partner for that climb and was like, hey, do you remember like what we did? Did we stay high, or did one of us like sort of climb down and then pass Loki to the, up to the other person? And I, neither of us could, could really remember. So it obviously wasn't too hard. I, yeah, obviously wasn't. I think we both stayed high. My partner went first and that's the way we always do it he would always go ahead and then Loki would be sort of sandwiched and then I would go last pulling up the rear right behind him um so for yeah for the crossover uh, my partner um went to the the other side of that it's sort of like a dihedral mm, yeah. um yeah he went to the opposite side of it and then I got in a good position on the on the beginning the, the uh initial side like where you start I got like two really good feet. I got a great hand. And then Loki was right behind me and I just grabbed his harness and sort of swung him around and passed him to my partner. And that was it. Yeah, it was really easy. So he was kind of airborne <laughs> for that. <laughs> but just for a second, yeah. That's awesome. We both had really good hands on the harness. So She does have excellent shoulder shoulder definition. Good shoulder. She's got great shoulder. <laughs> all, all that 40 all pound right. lifts I'm doing. Yeah. That's so perfect. And then for the rest of that climb, it was, it was really easy. I don't think we had to hoist him at all i have a really good picture of us climbing that together where he's like like kind of it looks like he's sandwiched in between my legs but he's just directly in front of me but like sort of putting his weight on me um 
Yeah, it's it's that was such a fun climb. And, and you did it from South Colony? We did from South Colony, yeah. Hand. And I did uh, both of those. I did um, Crestone Peak one week, and then the following week came back and did Crestone. From South Colony, both from South Colony? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that that when you cross over from the East Gully to the West Gully, you know how when you're on your way back down, it's very easy to mm-hmm. miss that turnoff. That's going to get really dangerous. Yeah, yep. and we were really worried about that. As I think there had been a lot of recent chatter uh, on the forum about it, like right before we went up. So I had brought a buff with me, a really colorful buff. It had like a Colorado flag on it. And I put that on the rock right where the crossover was and then built like a little, there was like a couple of little uh rocks in a makeshift cairn and so i i just stuck that like sort of underneath that little cairn Mm -hmm. um and that way it would like stand out on our way back down and that proved to be so so helpful and was that before or after you went to rungully on the zapata oh you learned from that i did and and uh yeah when i tried to do ellingwood point i think that was only my second year uh, into doing the 14ers whereas I think Crestone was like our fourth year okay yeah and my my third and fourth year I got really into them and I was doing like 20 to 25 a year really like out there every week doing at least one if not two wow, wow. yeah just like just turning them out and I was also training for Kilimanjaro at the time hello did Loki get to climb Kili with you? Loki did not come to Tanzania with okay. me. Yeah, there's there's a lot of red tape, um, sure. especially with climbing uh, an international mountain because they have their own set of rules. Um, and then also uh, the plane ride is super long. And mm. while he probably could have been okay um, on the way over, coming back from Ethiopia to Washington, D.C., it was just way too long to expect him to... Yeah. To, yeah. To hold, no, not relieve himself. Yeah. Well, and you've done. I mean, obviously, the 14ers an incredible accomplishment. Rainier with Loki, an incredible accomplishment. What's What's next? I mean, are you? Is there something else on the horizon? Or you know, so I've had that question asked a few times. Okay, Loki, hold on. <laughs> I think he said centennials. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about that question. For a couple of weeks now. Um, and no pressure, what's obviously. What's next? Well, um, so I do have a, a trip to California planned um, this at the end of this week. And so, yeah, I've been doing some research for a few months on some of the 14ers out there. So it's possible that we may head up one or two of them. Um, exciting. Yeah, that might be nice. I mean, we'll never get through all the California 14ers. They're just way too technical. I mean, these are class five climbs. And at that point, with a dog, you're not climbing. That's, you know, the dog is just being hoisted. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, it doesn't really count when you're just lifting them on a rope. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. They're all, yeah all good. <laughs> so, I've already, uh, I've already resolved that I will not be climbing all the California 14ers. Um since he will not be climbing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then long term, like my my big goal, and I don't even know if this is possible at this point or not, would be Denali. I'd really like to do so Denali. Cool. But I, you know, he's eight years old, and he's still in great shape. He hasn't, hasn't shown any signs of slowing down, but I don't know how many good years he has left, and Denali is such a huge endeavor that it, it would take a while for me to be in a place where I could do it myself. So at that point, I don't even know where he would be. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, like I said, I mean, everything you've already done is incredible. So it's, it doesn't need to be a what's next. Loki, can you say Did I you have to buy a ticket for the uh, Durango Railroad? Uh, did I have to buy a ticket for the Durango Railroad? Yeah, so, for the Chicago Basin. Yeah, we went into Chicago Basin twice, actually. Ah! Oh, now you want to talk. The first time... And this was last summer, the beginning of last summer. Um, I did, we did take the train. Um, and of course, he was able to join me. And I had planned, of course, I was by myself, but I had planned on doing all four. Okay. Okay. My next question was going to be kind of surrounding the awesome disclaimer that you put out there at the beginning of your trip report. And like, I don't know, like, I, what I don't want to get out of this is to inspire other people to bring their dogs on 14ers. Yes. So. 
you've you've put together a couple really awesome trip reports on Rainier, and you you did your post in the forum the other day, and for the most part, it looks like the feedback has been overwhelmingly awesome. There are a few people that are negative about it. Um, what would you like to put out there as sort of a response to that? Um, well, I, I realize that not everybody is going to respond in a positive way. and not every, But not everybody knows us, knows our situation, knows our experience. Um, and, and even if they do, there's always going to be somebody or a few people that just don't feel like it was a a wise decision or, or something that, that we should have done and all I, I can really do is just um, try to make things as safe as possible for myself for him for other people um, and, and try to educate people and let them know um, you know Loki has been so highly trained and Loki does have his service dog training and years have gone into this whole process it's not like i'm just bringing a, you know my random pet dog willy-nilly up these really dangerous climbs um and so yeah i always try to put out disclaimers about hey this is not something that joe anybody should be doing with their their pet dog um i really really want to discourage that this is such a, a unique situation and I take that really seriously. And, and I, I try to always put that out there, whether it's a, a trip report or something on my Instagram uh, or any of my social media, just so that, that, that people know. And, I've, and I, I hope that people take that seriously. Um, and and I, I, mean, I mean, I can't stop climbing mountains. This is my identity, really. Right. This is my, my whole passion in life. And Loki just happens to be a part of that. And that's, mm. that's the way it is. Yeah. But you, and like you said, you took so many necessary steps to get him to that point and yeah. to get you and him as a team to that point. And it's, like you said, not just a, a pet situation. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I would want to do is have somebody see one of my posts or, or read about us or, or hear this podcast and think, oh, hey, I'm going to go bring my little dog up this right. crazy mountain because she can do it, you know. No, there's so much more that's gone into this um, and, and so much preparing and so much training. and Right. Uh, yeah. I think that's a really important distinction to make, too, because Loki is the, the equivalent of a, of a Navy SEAL for the dogs. He's gone through all that training. But for somebody with their house dog, which is great, they have, they have a time and a place to to see that and, and get inspired. Like, I mean, you guys are doing such an incredible thing, and imitation is the highest form of flattery. So surely somebody out there is seeing that and wanting to do the same thing but that's not at all what we hope to convey through this podcast i think that's the message that you're putting out yeah i mean i i I would love for people to be inspired to go have experiences in mountains absolutely and take their their dogs or adventure cats or whatever they have (laughs) have, um, take them with them in 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 the right situation um and in a way where they're prepared um, but a, a lot of these peaks, it, it's just not a wise choice. And I want to make sure that people understand that and make sure that they understand that I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and act accordingly. I, I mean, I would just offer that if there's anybody that, um, that, you know, ever wants to come and, and climb something with us, the offer is out there. And I've done, I've put this out there on the forum in the past, people who may be a little bit skeptical about what we can do or, or whether or not we belong out there necessarily. Nature is for everybody. I mean, the mountains are for everybody. And I, I feel like with our background, like we have just as much right, I have just as much right, Loki does, to be there. And, and so if, if somebody wants to, to join us, I would be more than happy to uh, extend that invitation. How do people find you? Um, my my Instagram is usually the, the best way to find me, and it's follow your feet seventeen. It's amazing. Yep, give her a follow. <laughs> it's amazing. Awesome. Are you ordering a harness for Samson? <laughs> we love taking our dog on class one and two routes, um, but yeah, we're not. He's not nearly what trained. We're not. He's not a service dog, so we love having him on. They're the a little pricey them, too, but no, he's yeah. a he's a it's class a one two 
at most. As most are. Yes. And they have just as much fun. He loves it. Normally when we're like, Samson's done 1814ers, people are like, oh, that's so cool. This, that is, <laughs> and you know what? That is cool. And I, I, I tell everybody, like, that is cool to do 18 with your dog, to do one or two or yeah. whatever. Just to have that experience together, however many it is, is such a, a wonderful experience. Yeah. Well, you you guys are so humble, and that's it's just incredible, and we're honored to be sitting here with you guys. So. It's been fun. I appreciate um, you having me, and I, I think that's one of the, the biggest uh, characteristics that a mountaineer could have or, and should have is uh, recognizing that there's always something bigger. There's always something to learn. I'm still learning all the time. You know, I learned a ton even on Capitol, and um, I'm excited to see what we can get into next. I think that's a good spot to wrap up. So thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been a really fun, special podcast. Don't uh, get too inspired by these two and take your dog out there. Um, You're responsible for your decisions. Get out there, have fun, and we'll see you guys out there. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Loki.